we, I was in fourth grade. We moved from Metro Grand Rapids. It's not really a thing we say then, but it's kind of where we were. And uh, we moved to Nashville, Michigan. We lived about 15 minutes outside of a city the size of Anago, a mile and a third down this windy dirt road. And someone thought it was a good idea to put our house right on the edge of this massive hill. And this thing went like straight down. And the only way to get down the hill was around this rope, this tiny yellow rope that burns your hands as you go. And you're just rock like mountain climbing this thing down. And at the bottom of the rope came to this landing that was surrounded by High Bank Creek. And there was an issue with this landing, was that the current of the creek was attacking the root system of the tree, holding the whole thing together. Right, and so as kids, I'm in fourth grade, I'm sure it was really dad, I thought it was my idea. Like, we're gonna go camping down here, we're gonna have fire pit here, we can't let this thing go away. And so we started gathering rocks and we started building a dam and we're gonna move that current. We're just gonna move the current from here to the middle of the creek, have a little swimming spot, fishing spot, and we'll be able to save the campsite. And so we did it. We'd carry these giant rocks like this through the water because it's lighter that way, and we'd find the perfect smaller rocks to fit into the dam, and it was perfect. And then we were back down there for the next 10 years like five times, and, but it, it looked really great from the window. It looked really great from the window. We did a great job, and the tree is still there. So we were great child engineers. But what, why that reminded me or helped me with this passage is the thing with the current. Like in our uh, Christian life, that's kind of how it feels like to me sometimes. Like currents of water that just move mindlessly if we're not careful. From one thing to another. Our heart motivations and our life goals, they slowly drift from God. I think it was kind of passages like these that the same way we built a dam and we moved the current to a healthier place, I think Psalm 100 uh, can do that for us today and at least did that for me this week. And so if, uh, let's pray and then we'll read and we'll get uh, right into it. Father, thank you for this day and this cool weather and uh, the many blessings that you pour out on us. Like this passage uh, says, we should make a joyful noise to you and to serve you with gladness and to come into your presence with singing. And that's what we've done, I hope. We need to help our hearts and the weariness of the week and everything we've done uh, to settle now and to hear your word and to, and to, we'd ask the Spirit, you would affect us through this. Me as well. Protect the words that come from my mouth. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So I want to read Psalm 100 again, just to remind Pastor Tom how short it is. And then we'll get into it. Psalm 100. It's titled by someone, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the earth with the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. 
And here we're in our fifth psalm out of our 15 psalm summer series. If you look at it in a worse way, we're five psalms out of 150 in 10 years. So we're getting there. We're getting there. What's striking to me is the way that this psalm preaches, right? The way that it sings out of excitement and joy. And I don't feel that way all the time. I was talking with a brother. We meet in the, some mornings. I'm more jolly and Santa Clausy than actually joyful. Like sometimes these things just spring out of me, but I'm not just sitting in my couch at home going, man, I'm just so happy all the time. Like it's just not my default. And so I read this and I go, yeah, sure. I'm sure that's, that's who you are. I'm sure that's how you feel. But something gripped this man, whoever wrote this, by the Spirit to just pour forth praise unto the Lord. And so I wanted to, just the first couple verses, when he's saying, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, and serve him with gladness, and come into his presence with singing. I just, I just wonder what that, that secret sauce is, Grandma's secret recipe for joyfulness, to be joyful, to be in a place where this man is writing this with a relationship with the Lord in such a way, because we don't get a, a bullet point or a checklist of say, hey, if you do these 12 steps in 12 days, you'll have 12 uh, ways of being joyful with the Lord, and he will love you if you check these boxes. He will love you, and that will equal your joy. No, we don't get something like that. He's proclaiming and demanding, <coughs> excuse me, a joyful noise. So I went to uh, one who always talks about joyfulness, John Piper. He wrote, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. And as John Piper does, he makes short things long. And he went on, went on to explain uh, just how emotions and feelings work in our life. It's things that come over us without our prompting or without our thinking, just waves of things in action and reaction. And it made me think of a time when I was younger, and I don't really want to share this story. Uh, because it'll make you'll think less of me. So when every spring, right around Memorial Day, all the men in our family, we'd get in these this, these vans and we'd caravan to the uh, middle uh, northern part of the Lower Peninsula. It was just like the dudes' camping time, and that's what it was for a whole week. I don't. We fished and we mushroom hunt and we go on long, long hikes, and we try to not get bit up my, by mosquitoes. And one time, uh, in the evening, it's got to be 11 o'clock, uh, we're all laughing, and there's no fighting around the fire, which was strange. It's just a great time. And out of nowhere, okay, across, we're just in the middle of the woods. There's not a city, I don't know, for 30 minutes. Across this road, up in a tree, like it was from the planet Mars, came this screech I'm not kidding you. This thing sounded freakish. And then it, whatever it was, jumps from the tree, lands, and then runs straight past our campers. And no one saw it at all. I'm not going to make the noise, but I wish I would just to make it emphatic how scary it was. And I think I was like 15 or 16 at the time. 
I wish I was younger because I, I, if you've seen Back to the Future and the way the car leaves fire trails behind it, I made probably a fire trail straight to my camper because as the rest of the men get their flashlights and they go look for this, probably a bobcat or something. There was no way that this cat screams like that at 11 p.m. and I go, boy, am I happy. This is the best I've ever felt right now. This is going to kill me, but I'm good. No, fear, it just swamps you, right? Like ocean waves, these emotions that come over you. Yet this man who's writing this is in, in such a relationship with the Lord that this is what he writes. And my only comparison is a bobcat in the middle of the night, right? That's the only way I can relate to this thing. But in the same way, we are called to be joyful and to praise and be singing unto the Lord. And I know that as Christians, and even though we're indwelt by the Spirit, we kind of see this crumbling world around us. We're not going, oh, yay, a ruining world. How lucky are we? So what gives us the joy? If we're like the dam in the creek that is shifting a current of our hearts, what gives us joy in the midst of crumbling society? Well, if you'd flip to John 15, and I don't know if we got it up on this, not, not on the screen. I guess you'll have to read or just listen. John 15, 5. Start in 5, just for a little bit of context. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And then he says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I don't know the last time you struck, read that verse, and it just struck me over the head this week. Read verse 9 again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You know, Jesus this is, Jesus is not just some man f speaking fancy words to dumb Israelites. Like, none of, none of those things are true. Jesus is a perfect God-man. He's a person of the Trinity whose love within the Trinity is all that th those three need. There's nothing more that they need in perfect unity with one another. And then Jesus says, just as the Father, one person of the Trinity, loves me that much to that fullness, to that perfection, I, Jesus, love you. Jesus loves you as much as the Father loves him. Nothing you can do can ruin that. Nothing. 
I don't know if I said that enough. Nothing can, you can do can ruin the love that Jesus has for you because everything that caused that love for you was done by him and nothing can ruin it. I don't know if you've got a hard heart like I do. That starts to crack it. To know that in a world of imperfect love, everywhere, right, everywhere, like he's not just some dude catcalling you on the corner saying, hey, babe, I love you. It's not some employer who's saying, you're my favorite person, and then when they turn around, they're throwing you under the bus so they save their job. The Lord of Lord, King of Kings, God of the universe, loves you. Oh, I hope that helps you with joyfulness. I hope that is the root and the spring of what comes over you in this world, not the stuff of this world, right? not the TV shows and the jobs and the beautiful spouses and the beautiful kids. No, none of those things are going to fulfill you. None of those things. Jesus, that is, that is the thing that our current should be running to that should be pouring from. That is how we make a joyful noise. That's the, thing, the person who pours upon us for joyfulness. Well, my second point, and I'm already getting long-winded, I'm sorry, comes from verse three. Well, let's read that again. Know that the Lord, and if you, I, I might have, someone may have said this before, if you see Lord, L-O-R-D, in all caps like that, Way, way back when they didn't want to misuse the name Yahweh. They started changing that into the four letters, which now we see uh, all caps Lord. If you see that in the Old Testament or New Testament sometimes, they've just replaced the name Yahweh, the personal name of God. So he's saying, know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so my point that I hope is simple enough, it was simple enough for me, is that we're not God. Like you are not God. I am not God. No one we know besides Yahweh is God. But we do make ourselves God. In, in the ways that the days and the weeks all begin to blend together for one way or the other, it was just repetition at work, just feeding children and getting them to sleep every day. All the ways that these things blend together, slowly, slower and slower, we do what we want to do. We do whatever we have to to fill our own desires, whether that is uh, the TV shows that we want to watch, where do we want to live, what car do we want to drive. I'm waking up at 6.30 instead of 6 because I need that time. We make ourselves our own gods. And I don't know, there's this little book that came out. You might have heard it. It's called The Lord of the Rings. And uh, there's a, just beautiful, beautiful. If you've not read the books, it's, it's worth taking the time. And if you've seen the movie, you'll get this. But there's one character that's very interesting to me uh, every time. Uh, and it's really one, uh, two characters in one, and that's Gollum. Right? And there seems to be a good Gollum and a evil golem within the one. An evil golem, there's only one priority, right? It's his own desire, which that the idol of that desire is that ring, and he's going to do anything he can 
Because if you've seen it, he's not worried about uh, getting his vitamin D for the day, right? He's, he's not saying, well, I better uh, eat my two apples to keep the doctor away or one apple, whatever it is. He's got one thing on his mind, and that's the desire of his own heart. I don't know if Tolkien could have just made it whatever he wanted, a rake or a fork. He made it a ring. It didn't matter what the thing was. It's the desire of his own heart, making himself God in his own life. That led to his ruin. Gollum made his own desires his own God, making himself God. And that led him to ruin. And we do that in our own lives. I'm glad Miranda walked out because now she won't look at me when I say this. I am the king of going, oh, this next thing is going to be so much fun. And then it runs its course, and then it's the next thing. It's disc golf, it's whatever. Investing in stocks. I don't, it's just going to, that's going to be my thing. And I'm going to be the best at it. And then it just runs its course, and then it's the next thing, then it's the next thing. And I go, why do I just get bored all the time? I'm just making myself my own God. The desires of my heart. And everyone does it. Maybe it's drugs or alcohol. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's our spouse. Like, I've just gone through these things already. But so quickly, those things start to consume ourselves to where God's not even in the picture anymore, and we, we ruin ourselves. That current of our life, you picture it moving down a river. That current, it's never centered. It's never centered. And that's what's striking about this passage or a reminder of who is God. Well, Yahweh, the Trinitarian God, he is the one who owns the throne of our hearts. And we say that like it's a bad thing sometimes, that he is the one who loves us, who has saved us, who will spend the rest of eternity with us as our shepherd. Yet he's the first thing that we shuck so we get to do our own cool thing for about two months and then wonder why we're in trouble. This, this is who we should return to. This should be where we come and be joyful in. Moving on to my third, third part. It's just to keep. I made a mistake. I'm just going to keep going. It's the Trinitarian God that's the object of our, our life. And all everything flows from that. Everything flows from that. It's interesting in that verse, still in verse 3, that he says that we're his people in the sheep of his pa uh, pasture. And in John 10, Jesus picks up on that. He says, I am the good shepherd. I think it's probably clear in a rural community what that means of caretaking of animals and everything that goes into that and how sheep are among the dumbest of them, always running off and always needing tending to, always needing saving. All of that. And Jesus says, I am the good one who lays my life down for the sheep. I am the good one who saves you, who loves you. Now I'm moving on. Psalm 100, 104 and 5. I'll read that again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so the psalm closes with this call into the Lord's presence with celebration and thanksgiving for the blessings that he's poured out upon his people. 
but he uses God's qualities there in the end. That the Lord is good. Yahweh is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. And I've, a couple times now, I've gone on at length about what God's goodness means and what that means for us. So I didn't want to go that route again. I wanted to go to Charles Spurgeon, uh, who gave a long uh, quote on this, and I think I can read it in a way that'll help you uh, stay in tune with it. But this was his commentary on these verses. And I think he says it clearer than I could make something up. He said, this sums up God's character and contains a mass of reasons for praise, that he is good and gracious and kind and bountiful and loving. Yea, God is love. God is not mere justice, stern and cold. He has bowels of compassion. And in older languages, the bowels are the deepest, most secret, inner parts of our being. He has bowels of compassion and wills not to, for the sinner's death. Towards his own people, mercy is still more conspicuously displayed. It has been theirs from all eternity and shall be their world without end. No fickle being is he, promising and forgetting he has entered into a covenant with his people, and he will never revoke it, nor alter the thing that has gone out of his lips. As our father, fathers found him faithful, so will our sons and their seed forever. A changeable God would be a terror to the righteous. They would have no sure anchorage, and amid a changing world, they would be driven to and fro in perpetual fear and shipwreck. It were well if the truth of divine faithfulness were more fully remembered by some theologians, that our heart leaps for joy as we bow before one who has never broken his word or changed his purpose. And so I just wonder if there's someone here, I'm sure there is, who has at one time or today come to a fork in the road when it comes to God and their relationship to him or wherever you are in that. And maybe you're processing uh, internally, which I'm sure you are because you're not talking. I hope you're processing internally. Maybe you're thinking many things that move your heart in this world and sunsets and bridge jumping and disc golf and baseball and your beautiful wife and maybe the Packers blowing another MVP season by Aaron Rodgers. I'm a Lions fan. i got to get digs where I can. But maybe you're in a place where God and his love for you doesn't move you at all. Doesn't move you like this man was moved. Doesn't move you like Charles Spurgeon writing that. And I'd ask you to seek counsel and to pray about that. Like if you've come to Jesus intellectually, and haven't confessed that he's God and the Lord has raised him from the dead and believe that in your heart so that you may be saved from the depths of your sin and shame, I'd ask that you would not continue on in life until you pray, you seek counsel, and you come to the Lord. I just ask you that if you're seeing your life joyless and without excitement and godless and that current of the waters continue to shift further and further away from where you know God is, don't let it go.
bring it to Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for his friends, and you will be saved from the miles and miles long list of shame and sin that we bring to him are just wiped clean. You want to find joy in life that is everlasting. That's where it is. It's Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. I'm telling you, there's nothing else in this world that will never end but Christ for joy in your life. It will never Well, that's that psalm. I'm at the end of my page. But I hope that it helps you, like it helped me this week, bring, bringing our attention back into, just in a short psalm, of who sits on the throne of our hearts. What is the spring of joyfulness in our life? And that answer is and can only be Christ alone. Jesus alone. So I'd love if you come talk to me or Pastor Tom if you have questions, if you are at a fork in the road, if that stirs up things that you're not sure about, there's plenty of people here that want to talk to you. We don't do altar calls. We don't do that. We just want to call you to Jesus. If you're not there, please consider it. Knock on the door. He will answer. You pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for how short it is how to the point it is, the truth that you love us, and these are the things that should be pouring out upon us, like all the, the waters of the ocean and the rivers and the creeks all bottled up and pouring out upon us like a waterfall for all eternity is your love upon those who love you, upon yours that you saved. Jesus, you said you will never cast out who the Father brings to you, I thank you for that, your work in us, your work on the cross that led to this possibility, the love that you have for us. And Holy Spirit, the way that you move within us, I'd ask that you would work in us in a way that our heart sings for you, that, we would, that you would help us continue to forsake the things that pull you, us away from you, that you would hold us close, you would move in our heart and help us sing to you afresh today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your work, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.